Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, it's great to see you here this morning, and before I dive in, let me say, hey, welcome to our online audience. Thrilled to have you join us this Easter on our Rossville campus as well. Man, Corbin doing a great job there. They had a great Friday night service there in Rossville as well, so thank you for all you're doing there. Hey, wherever you are, take your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if you don't have your Bibles, it'll all be on the screen, so that'll be fine. 1 Corinthians 15, that's a small book about 80% of the way through your Bible in the New Testament, and, uh, and again, it'll be on the screen if, if you don't have a Bible this morning. Well, it's Easter Sunday, right? I always like to give you just some interesting tidbits about a holiday when we get there, because Easter, you may or may not know, I'm sure you do know that it's a big retail holiday in the United States. I want to preach on this subject today. It is time to decide. Let me get that up there. But uh, Easter's big deal for two reasons. Uh, the two C's, candy and clothes, are a big deal on Easter, the holiday shopping season. But for like Christmas, Easter's kind of become a big deal for the church, obviously, and for the unchurched as well. I don't know if you know it or not, but Easter rivals Halloween as the time in American life where the most candy is purchased. Halloween beats it out by a little bit, but Easter has a lot of uh, candy ball in it as well. For, for example, uh, if I were to ask you, what's your favorite Easter candy? What would you say? Yeah, it's all over the map. All right, so you just ruined my illustration. All right, uh, Americans eat about 1.5 billion peeps peeps during Easter season. It's the most popular non-chocolate Easter candy. And all of them are made in a place called Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And they crank out about five and a half million peeps uh, a day. And you'll find this interesting. If you do a little deep dive on peeps, which is totally unnecessary, I don't suggest you do it at all. It's not worth it. You wind up with a bunch of useless information like I have in my head today. But did you know the first peeps that were made in 1953 took 27 hours to make, like each individual peep took 27 hours to make. And because of our craving of sugar and demanding more, they have now figured out how to crank them out in six hours, I think it is. Uh, oh no, six minutes, right? Six minutes. They can now make a peep in six minutes and versus uh, 27 hours. And because we demand, I mean, we're eating a billion and a half uh, uh, during Easter. But not only that, it, we've cut it down to six minutes, but we also eat them faster. Did you know 1953, they, somebody timed this. I'd love to have this job, but somebody timed this, and the average peep took 45 seconds to eat. Now we eat a peep in an average of six seconds. There's a reason we're chubby, people. There's a reason we're chubby. We're, we're eating seven in the amount of time it took them to eat one. Not, not only that, we make 500 million Cadbury eggs per, per year. We make 16 billion jelly beans, which is a popular Easter candy during the year. And 91 million chocolate bunnies are sold in the U.S. every year. Now, I always do this every Easter because I find it fascinating uh, because they do research and studies on this. Um, 
When you eat a chocolate bunny, what do you eat first? Uh, let me, let's do a survey. Did it last night. Let me do a survey. How many of you would say, uh, the first thing I eat are the ears? Let me see your hand. Eat the ears first. Oh, yeah, pretty consistent. All right. How many of you say, could care less, I just bought the bunny somewhere. It's all chocolate. Anybody? See, I'm shocked by this because research says that 59% of the people eat the ears first and the other 41% could care less. They just dive in somewhere. Like, and I'm kind of more the dive in uh, person per, per year. But the average person spends $151 on Easter candy and clothes. And then we buy 180 million eggs at Easter just for what we do at Easter. All that is to give you a little bit of picture of what Easter has become. But you know candy and clothes are not what make Easter a big deal, right? You get that, don't you? The research tells us in 2018 that slightly more than 50% of Americans went to church on Easter weekend, went to church somewhere on Easter weekend. Why? Because we understand that Easter is more than chocolate bunnies, peeps, candies, and clothes, right? Easter is that we come to celebrate a risen Savior. And last year, 2020, Lifeway Research did the state of theology study in America. And here's what they discovered. Among Americans, still 66% of Americans believe the biblical account of Jesus that he literally rose from the grave. You know that's what we celebrate today, right? Easter is not about bunnies and chocolate, and I'm not against any of that. You go have fun with your family. We will, ours as well, and for all of that. But the reason is all of that points to one thing, and that is a risen Savior. Amen. The reason we go to church on, in America on Easter is because the resurrection, it's a big deal. It's what makes Sunday a big deal. Hey, the resurrection is what makes life a big deal. The resurrection is what makes facing death a big deal. How we deal with death as believers is all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul knew the resurrection was such a big deal that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he took 58 verses to explain to us why the resurrection was a big deal. In 58 verses in 1 Corinthians 15, we have a clear explanation of the gospel and a clear explanation of the resurrection. Why? Paul wanted us to have a clear, good understanding of the resurrection because if you don't understand the resurrection, then life will not make sense. Then death, listen, will always be feared, then Christianity will always be misunderstood if you don't understand the resurrection. Listen, the kingdom of God will be marginalized in your life if you do not have a clear understanding of the resurrection. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said, hey, here's some things I need to tell you about the resurrection. Hey, well, I'm not coming today to try to convince you Jesus rose from the grave. Can I tell you this? That is the job of the Holy Spirit. That's one of those steps of faith you have to take. We have all kinds of historical evidence. There's all kinds of empirical evidence that says Jesus rose from the grave. You go do all that research on your own. There's plenty of research out there. Books after books have been written about it. Here's what I'm going to assume today. I, I'm going to assume you believe Jesus rose from the grave. And because of that, there's some things we need to understand. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? And it'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles or you're watching online. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look, I'm going to read more than I probably need to read, but it's such a great passage. I want you to follow Paul's line of thinking. Look in verse number 12 with me, if you will, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? 
there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we've testified wrongfully about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Verse 20. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death, for God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. Thank you. You may be seated. What we have here is the classic chapter on the resurrection. In this chapter, Paul is trying to make sense of the cross that we just sang about. He's giving meaning to Christianity. He's giving us strength for us to face death. And he's given us confidence so we can attack hell without fear as long as we are in this earth. So let me give you four things Paul was trying to say about the resurrection. Here they are. Number one is this. One man broke everything. That's important for us to understand when we get to the resurrection of Jesus, that there was a reason there had to be a resurrection. That first man, Adam, you say, preacher, do you believe in a literal Adam and Eve? I absolutely do that God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He was a perfect man and a perfect woman. But that first man, Adam, sinned and brought disaster not only on himself, but on all of his posterity going forward. One man introduced death into the world. Death and all that comes with it was introduced into the world by Adam as the consequence of one man's sin. Adam's sin brought death to himself, his family, and to all of his descendants, which are all of us from that day forward. Adam sinned against God. It brought alienation from God. You know the story there in Genesis, and it brought death to all, all humanity. Sin resulted in death. And all human beings are related to Adam, and we all have two things in common. All of us have two things in common. We are all sinners, and we're all going to die. So that's depressing. Hold on, it gets better, but that's the truth. We're all sinners. We're all going to die. By capitulating to sin, Adam allowed the whole human race to succumb to death. Death is inescapable. It comes to every living thing. And the, reign over the, the, and the reign of death over creation began with Adam's simple sin, all because one man disobeyed God. Here's, what, here's where it was. Here's the one place where man disobeyed God. He said in Genesis 2, 17, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From the day you eat it, 
from it, you will certainly die. You will certainly die. And we get so hung up on the, what, were the, what was the fruit, what was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. None of that matters. None of that is even theologically important. This was not a test about a tree. This was a test of the obedience of man to an almighty God. And when Adam disobeyed, he broke everything. When Adam disobeyed, he changed everything. When Adam disobeyed, he was the perfect man living in a perfect world, created by God. He was designed to live for all of eternity. And the moment Adam sinned, Adam changed everything about our world. One man broke everything. I don't know if you heard about this man or not. His name was James Holzhauer, and he is described as the man who broke Jeopardy. He became known as Jeopardy James because he won 32 games in a row in 2019. How many of you saw Jeopardy James on, on Jeopardy? You might see him. Yeah, a good many of us did. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about the most famous Jeopardy player of all time is Ken Jennings, who I think won 74 games in a row. And, and, and James only won 32 games in a row, but the way he did it was fascinating. For example, he holds the record for the most money won in one episode. He also holds the second spot on the list. And by the way, he owns the top uh, 16 spots on the list. That of the 32 times he won, 16 times he set a record for the most money won on Jeopardy. Get this, during his reign, 11 times during his winning streak, he went a whole game without buzzing in incorrectly. During his streak, he won an average of $77,000 per game. That was more than double what Ken Jennings won per game during his winning streak. When he buzzed in, he got the right answer or the right question 97% of the time, according to the show. He almost always entered Final Jeopardy so far ahead that no one could catch them. And his average margin of victory, margin of victory, was $62,000 compared to Ken Jennings, whose average margin was $25,000. He still owns the most, Ken Jennings still owns the most games won by a long margin, but money by only a fraction. Jennings won 74 straight, more than twice James, but Jennings only finished $22,000 ahead of James in money. And it was not random, by the way. He had a process. He had an unusual money technique called the forest bounce, which you can look up. It's a mathematical thing, which involved going straight to the big money questions and hunting for daily doubles. And this is what made him unusual. He wagered all his money all the time. All his money all the time. And so I, I dug in on, on Jeopardy James a little bit because he's described as the man that broke Jeopardy and figured out some of this stuff is not random. Like he actually practiced Jeopardy. Now, for all you mamas who tell your kids you can't make a living playing video games, and some of us Fortniters, we know better. Like, we know people who do make a living playing video games, but even, even Jeopardy James, he practiced hitting the buzzer at home standing up in dress shoes. He fashioned a buzzer out of a mechanical pencil, wrapped it in tape, and played games, get this, like Guitar Hero to strengthen his fingers and reflexes. So Jeopardy James played Guitar Hero to make his fingers stronger, and it won him an enormous amount of money. But I tell you all that to read this one sentence from you. Alice Trebek said before he died about Jeopardy James, he said, Jeopardy James may have, and I quote, forever change. 
the way Jeopardy is played. May forever change the way Jeopardy is played. They described him as the man who broke Jeopardy. And I tell you that story to just give you a little idea about a man who broke a game on television that absolutely does not matter, but it's exactly what Adam did in the Garden of Eden, that before Adam's sin, everything was perfect. You know this, don't you? Before Adam's sin, there was no wrong in the world. There was no sickness in the world. There was no death in the world. Hey, there was no anxiety in the world. There was no hurt in the world. There was no bitterness in the world. Nobody could ever hurt your feelings. Adam and Eve had a perfect marriage. But is sin forever changed the way the game is played on earth? One man broke it all. One man changed everything. One man messed it all up. And because of that one man, can I tell you, he even messed it up for you, for me. You know, um, that mess you've got going on in your life right now, it's Adam's fault. Adam did it. Because of the sin he introduced into the world. And when you look at your life and you look at your mess, you may say, well, man, that really ticks me off about Adam. But can can we be honest? If Adam had not messed it up, you would have. You say, preacher, you don't know me. I wouldn't. Okay, let let me take it off you. If Adam had not messed it up, I would have. I wouldn't have done it for a piece of fruit, but if the devil hunted a bag of Doritos off that tree, we'd all been condemned to hell. I've been like, God, have you tried these things? I mean, I know the tree of knowledge of the tree of Doritos and Pringles, man, I cannot resist that God. You got to put me somewhere else. And if you had to mess it up, if I had to mess it up, you would have. If you had to mess it up, I, I mean, somebody was going to throw us all into sin. And sin, hear me, that original sin, it causes death in our life. And it kills so many things in our life. And it condemns us to hell in our life. And it's, listen, this world we live in is broken. It's broken badly. You say, well, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? That is not the question. The, 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 it doesn't even make sense. The question is, the answer is, we live in a fallen, broken world. And bad things happen to everybody. And hear me, it's broken so badly that you cannot fix even your own life. You cannot be good enough to fix your life. You cannot be good enough to earn your way into heaven. You cannot be good enough to get your own forgiveness. You you cannot be good enough to fix your own life. Listen, one man broke everything. And because he broke it all, that affects me and you and the brokenness we have in our own lives today. Well, that's the most depressing part of the sermon. That's exactly what Paul was saying. And when you start reading in verse number 12, Paul is talking about how Adam broke the world, but he quickly transitions. And number two, Paul tells us this, that one man fixed everything. If the story ended with Adam, we would be lost for eternity. But the good news is the story doesn't end with the man who broke everything. It starts with the man who fixed everything. Here's what he said. Look what Paul said. I love this verse so much. For just as in Adam all die, we just talked about it, so also in Christ will all be made alive. Yes, there was a man who messed up paradise and who messed up eternity and totally brought death and sin into the world. But there was a greater man than that who fixed it all. His name was Jesus. 
God looked down from heaven and God said to himself, hey, we can fix that. That mess Adam created, that mess that humans keep perpetuating, hey, we can fix that. And the way they fixed it was God sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin that we could not pay so that we might be saved. And one man, the God-man himself, Jesus, took it upon himself to fix all of the problems for all of mankind. I don't know if you've heard of Seth Phillips or not. Seth Phillips is a self-proclaimed guy who's trying to fix all the world's problems. And he's, using it, he's doing it using cardboard signs. He's known as Dude with a Sign on Instagram. Not all of his signs are great. Don't go look him up. But uh, I, I saw this story about him. He has about 8 million followers on Instagram. And his, his self-proclaimed goal is to fix all the problems in the world by holding up cardboard signs. I think he's in New York, Philadelphia, one of those places. But, but he stands on a busy street corner and he holds up a sign. Uh, for, for example, he holds up this sign. He's trying to fix things, right? Here's what he says. $1,000 phones should not shatter so easily. Right? I get it. Uh, that's a problem, right? N- number two, here's another one. There's no X in espresso. Everybody, real quietly, under your breath, say the word espresso real quickly. And you'd probably just put an X in it. It's not in there. I love this one. You're. We get that wrong a lot of times, believe it or not. We get that. And if you look at that and you're like, I don't know what the big deal is, it's probably you. It's probably you. Every now and then spell checker, fix it for me. And I'll shoot off a text or an email and I've got the wrong year in there. And I always try to correct it. I love this one. I still don't understand the reason for daylight savings times. Me neither, Seth. I don't, I don't get it. All right. I, I love this one. Uh, charcuterie boards are just expensive Lunchables. I know some of you are thinking, what in the world is a charcuterie board? I, I know. I only found out about a month ago. My wife had to explain to me what it was. I'm not very refined. And then finally, my, my, my favorite one of all of them. I miss the smell of movie theater popcorn. Fix it, Seth. Fix it. I, I miss it too. I miss it too. One man in a cardboard sign is trying to fix everything. Man, dude with the sign is trying to fix our problems. Here's the deal. Jesus has already fixed all of our problems. One man who gave his life for ours. One man who died on the cross for our sins. One man who paid the penalty we could not pay. One man who gave his life for all of us. His name is Jesus and he fixed everything. And the only question of eternity, the only question will be, what did you do with Jesus? So let me ask you, what have you done with Jesus? I preached a sermon last night, was laying in bed last night thinking about it. And do you know what's not going to be asked in heaven? God's not going to say, tell me about all the good things you did. God's not going to say, God's not going to say, uh, tell me about that time you, uh, I'm going to give you some points. Tell me about that time you helped the poor or you were rescued your neighbor's cat. You'll lose points for that, by the way, but, uh. God's not going to say any of that. You'll stand before an almighty God, and here's what he'll ask you. What did you do with Jesus? Can I ask you this morning, what have you done with Jesus? Jesus is not just a good person. He's not a great moral teacher. Jesus is God himself in the flesh who fixed your problems, who fixed all of our problems. And the only question of eternity is what 
did you do with him? One man broke everything. One man fixed everything. Can I show you number three? One event changed everything. We find it in verses 12 through 18, verse 20, that Paul uses the word if no fewer than seven times in seven verses referring to the resurrections. Resurrection. There were those who were saying the resurrection had not occurred. However, Paul, the argument is moot because the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead proves there is a resurrection. And the, the, the hypothetical ifs that Paul is talking about uh, concede to the certain facts of history that Christ has been raised from the dead. And so Christians may indeed face difficulty, but the fact of the resurrection changes everything for us. That one event changed it all because Christ rose from the dead. Get this. He became the first of a great harvest of those who will come to life again one day. Christ was not the first person to rise from the dead. You can read in your Bible. You can read in your Bible. There were other people who rose from the dead. There's a difference. He was the first one to be raised and never die again. He was the first one to be raised and is still alive today. He was the forerunner of those like us who would come behind him and believe in him. And the proof of their eventual resurrection to eternal life was his resurrection to eternal life. Jesus coming to life was the event that changed everything for me and changed everything for you and changed everything for us. The resurrection that we celebrate today for those of us who have trusted him, we too will one day be resurrected to eternal life. That one event, the resurrection, changed everything. One event. We, we say that sometimes. We say, boy, I, I had a life. We, we can point to life-changing events. Sometimes we'll talk about our marriage was a life-changing event. Sometimes we'll talk about our kids being born. Sometimes it's a job. Some, uh, we have all these life-changing events that we, we talked about. Uh, probably none as much as this guy named Keith Gill. I don't know if you recognize him or not, but you may have heard his nickname in the news lately, Roaring Kitty. Has anybody heard about Roaring Kitty? He, he was a guy that invested in GameStop stock. You know what a GameStop is, right? I know what one is. I just can't figure out how they still exist. I have no idea why they're still. GameStop was the place you used to go buy like DVDs with games on them and you put them in your PlayStation 1 or your Xbox 1 or, or something like that. And I can't figure, you download games now. I can't figure out why a GameStop, I, we were in Atlanta the other day and, and Sherry was doing some shopping in this, this mall area and there was actually a GameStop. And she said, I said, hey, I'm going to go in here. And she said, what do you need? I, I said, I don't really need anything. I just can't believe they're still in existence anymore. It's like a blockbuster. Why do they exist? And so I walked in, I thought, you know what? I need a new, new controller for my PlayStation. So I walked up to the guy and I said, hey, I need a controller for my PlayStation. And he's like, we don't have any. I'm like, why do you exist? Why are you here? I can't figure out what you do. But Keith Gill believed in them, and Keith Gill was buying the stock when it was around its 52-week low at $2.57. And he kept buying the stock, and he kept putting more money into it, and he kept telling people to do it. And its all-time closing price high on January 27th was $347.51. Keep in mind, he was buying it less than 20 bucks not long ago. Not only that, its 52-week high was $483. And James Gill, uh, when he testified before Congress, he said, I went home at Christmas time. And I sat my family down, and I said, I need to tell y'all something. 
He said, because of the money I put in GameStop, I am now a millionaire. He put in thousands. And he's not just a, like, he's not like a Jeopardy James 2 millionaire. He had $16 million in his bank account. $16 million. For him, one investment changed everything. One stock surge was everything to him. And if you think that's a big deal, there's not a one of us in here that would say becoming a millionaire was not an event that changed my life. But can I tell you this? Long after the money of this world passed away, millions of years from now, when all the money is gone, the resurrection will still be the only thing that matters in your life. Jesus rising from the grave is the event that really does change everything. And that only leaves one question for all of us. On which side of the resurrection do you stand? Are you a spectator or are you a participant? What do you mean, preacher? One of these days, Jesus is coming again. And the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise up from the ground. Here's the question. Will you be watching or participating? Let's just say it happens 100 years from now. I think it'll be sooner than that. But let's just say 100 years from now, when everybody in this room is dead and gone, will Everybody watching online, dead and gone. Roswell, dead and gone. When Jesus comes again and the dead in Christ will rise first, are you a participant or are you a spectator? That one event, the resurrection, puts us all in one of those two categories. You're either going to watch it happen or you'll be part of it happening. Because that one event changed everything. The fourth thing Paul wants us to know is this. That one decision means everything. Here's what he said in verse 19. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only. If Christianity were just for this world, there's absolutely no point. There's no point. If Christianity were only to try to get us to live a better life now, hear me, hear me, hear me. The best life you can live right now is a life centered around Christ. But hear me, if Christianity was only to make your life better, you could follow other people and get some results. You could follow Buddha and get some results. You could follow Gandhi and get some results. You could follow Joseph Smith and get results. You could follow Muhammad. Hey, you could follow Tom Brady and get some results if you wanted to. You wouldn't get Christian results, but you'd get some results. You wouldn't get Jesus results, you'd get some results. That's not what all Christianity is about. Jesus has provided a better way in this life, hear me, and the only way in the next life. All of those other good moral teachers, whomever they may be, whatever category you want to put again, lump them all up together, and here's what they all have in common. They are all dead and buried in the grave, never to come alive again. But Jesus is alive. And he's alive not just for his sake. He's alive for our sake. And he rose from the dead so you could live as well. And now you have a decision to make. One decision means everything. What are you going to do 
with a resurrected Savior? Are you going to put your hope in Jesus? Close your Bibles and I'm, I'm finished this morning. I'll show you a picture of James H. Cole Funeral Home. Uh, I actually have a picture of the girl I'm going to talk about. Her name was Tamisha Bocamp. And I did, out of respect for the family, I didn't want to put a picture of her. Uh, but just a few weeks ago, uh, this year, Tamisha died. And, and her parents, they, they called an ambulance. And w- when they got there, they pr- the paramedics pronounced her dead on a scene. They placed her in a body bag. They took her to James H. Cole Funeral Home in Detroit. And they laid the body bag out on the table for hours and hours and hours. When it came time to embalm her, they walked over and unzipped the bag. And you guessed it. She was alive. Now, I don't want to make that phone call if I'm working at James. As a matter of fact, I, unzipping a body bag, seeing somebody alive is going to mess with me a little bit anyway. And I don't want to be, but they called the paramedics. They came back, and sure enough, she was alive. They, she was pronounced clinically dead. And so I'm not telling you how. I'm just saying she was dead, and now she was alive, and a family rejoiced. They were so excited. But don't, don't, don't get too excited. The story ends poorly. Because three weeks later, Tamisha Bocamp died again. This time it was for good. She rose from the dead only to die again in a short amount of time. You can imagine the joy and elation of the family and then three weeks later, here we are again. What's the difference between that and what Jesus did? Jesus rose from the dead to never die again again seen by hundreds and hundreds of people seen by hundreds of people as he went up into the air to go back to his father jesus rose from the dead to never die again and so here's the problem with that because he rose from the dead and never died again that forces us all to make a decision you don't get to get out of the decision you have to make it this morning will you put your faith and hope and trust in him Will you put your faith and hope and trust in him? The resurrection forces that decision that means everything to your life. It forces you to make a decision on what are you going to do with Jesus. So here's the question. Are you 100% sure you will rise again? 100% sure. And if you're watching online, Jeremy's going to talk to you for just a second right now. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that message. I've never heard a better Easter message. It's a simple gospel presentation. One man broke everything. One man fixed everything. One event changed everything. And one decision means everything. That decision is yours. You've heard the gospel this morning. And if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, that message was just for you. Tailor-made for Easter Sunday 2021 just for you. If God has spoken to your heart and you need to give your heart and life to Him, you've heard the gospel 
It begins with you telling God this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And God, I know it started in the Garden of Eden when that one man broke everything. And God, because you weren't satisfied to be separated from me, you sent Jesus. He's the one that fixed everything. Lord, that event on the cross changed my future. And God, right now, I make the decision. And God, this decision means everything to me. God, would you come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant it, we want to connect with you. We want to help you take next steps in your faith journey with Jesus. We can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. We want to connect with you. And so right now we've dropped a, a button in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Jesus. You can click on that button. We're going to ask for your name, your email address, and your phone number. Or if you want to connect with me personally, you can send a number, right, send a text right to my phone. Just text your name to 706-406-8100. Just send a text to that number. Just give me your name and I will reach out to you um, this afternoon. It has been awesome to be together. And I know you've got some festivities planned. Mama probably made a ham. You're going to have some mashed potatoes, a coconut Easter bunny cake. I don't know if anybody has one of those. But, man, I'm excited to go home and celebrate with my family and have some fun. Thanks for joining us this morning. And, man, we can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.